There is a book in the New Testament known as the Acts of the Apostles. And it is primarily a book of history. In that book, Dr. Luke records for us what it was like when the church was young. It's in Acts chapter 20. We find the Apostle Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. And yet he desperately wants to visit the congregation, the brethren at Ephesus one more time. Ephesus was a place where Paul had labored for quite some time. He had labored there very sacrificially and he had labored there very successfully. But because of the logistics involved, going to Ephesus was not a possibility. So Paul does the next best thing. He sent an email to the elders of the church at Ephesus and asked them to meet him at Miletus. Well, they did that. And when they got there, Paul poured out his heart to those elders in one of the most beautiful and most compelling messages you'll find anywhere in Scripture. He tells them he's free from the blood of all men. He says, I did not shun to declare unto you the whole counsel of God while I was with you and while I was laboring with you. And his visit there with them reaches its climax in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. Paul makes there a very impassioned appeal to the elders of that church at Ephesus. He says, take heed to yourselves. And to all the flock over which the Holy Spirit hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which He has purchased with His own blood. Instead of church of God, the American Standard Version translates it differently. It says, feed the church of the Lord, which He's purchased with His own blood. That is actually the better translation. And I like the sound of it. Feed the church of the Lord that He's purchased with His own blood. Because you see what this passage does. That passage brings us face to face with Paul's concept of the church. It is impossible to read the 13 letters that Paul wrote without seeing the fact that Paul thought of the church grandly and Paul thought of the church gloriously. The most heartbreaking memories that Paul had in his life were those memories that he had of the time when he had persecuted the church. And Paul's most thrilling joy came because he was now privileged to belong to that church. That he could now have a role not in tearing down the church and not in persecuting the church, but now he had a role in building up the church. <clears throat> Paul sought every opportunity that he had to tell his converts and anyone he came in contact with about the beauty of the church. He wanted them to know the value of the church. He wanted them to know what the church actually 
caused. So he tells those elders, feed the church of the Lord, the church he purchased with his own blood. You see, Paul actually thought of the church as a family. And yet the church was no ordinary family. It was the family of God. It was the household of faith. Like we sang a moment ago, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Washed in the fountain, cleansed by the blood. That's how Paul thought of the church, as a family. But he also thought of the church as a bride. And yet to Paul, the church was no ordinary bride. The church was a bride without spot. The church was a bride without blemish. The church was the bride of the world's Redeemer. But he also sees the church as the body of Christ. He sees the church as that living organism through which the Lord still speaks His message. He sees the church as that body that still carries on the work of the Lord to seek and to save that which is lost. And then perhaps Paul's favorite conception of the church was as the temple of the living God. Paul looked upon each individual saint as a temple that was indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And actually he wrote in 1 Corinthians six nineteen, Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? So therefore the church is a temple. And it's a temple built not of individual stones, but it's built of individual temples, me and you, as individual temples of the Holy Spirit of God. It is built by the redeemed sons and daughters of God. And in our text, Paul speaks of the church as being purchased by Jesus with his own blood. Paul stating that as a group and as individuals, those of us who belong to the church are not our own. We have been bought with a price. The precious blood of Jesus. Now in our world today, there are some and some religious people, oh, they find this concept of the blood being repellent to them they are more repelled by the blood of Christ and the concept of the blood of Christ than they are drawn to the blood of Christ I want you to remember something Paul <coughs> excuse me Paul is one of the most cultured and one of the most sensitive men that we meet anywhere on the pages of the New Testament. And this educated, cultured, sensitive man named Paul states the church that he belongs to has been purchased by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. My friends, 
This fact is fundamental to the New Testament. You cannot get rid of this concept of the blood of Christ. And you cannot do away with this concept of the church being purchased by the blood of Christ without tearing the Gospels and all of the epistles literally to shreds. You take this fact out of the New Testament. The fact that the church is the blood-bought institution of Christ. That we are cleansed by the blood of Christ. And you remove the blood from the New Testament. And you have reduced the New Testament to mere shambles. Paul believed in it. Paul preached about it. Paul spoke of it with unspeakable joy. If this text we read... If that was the only reference to the fact we've been bought with a price. Maybe. Just maybe it wouldn't be quite so impressive. But this concept. That we're bought with the price. And that price of purchase was the blood of Jesus. Runs through everything Paul has said. Consider how when Paul writes the, to the Corinthian church. How he sums up the gospel he's preached and the gospel he was preaching. Here's what he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 3. I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. How that Christ died for our sins. According to the scriptures. And writing to that same church. He urges them, he says, you, you are not your own. You are bought with a price. I like Philip's translation of that. You've been bought. And at what price? But Goodspeed puts it this way, it's probably my favorite. Goodspeed says, you're not your own. You have been bought and paid for. I was bought and paid for by the precious blood of Jesus Christ shed on that cross on Calvary's hill. You can read about this in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 23, Paul writes, We preach Christ crucified. Beloved, those are impressive words. Paul didn't claim to preach about Christ. Anybody can do that. Anybody can tell about the historical things about it. Paul didn't claim to preach about Christ. He claimed to preach Christ. He proclaimed and he heralded and he emphasized a crucified and risen Jesus Christ. You remember when Paul went to Athens over in the book of Acts? Paul went to Athens to preach. Athens was the seat of learning. It was where the, all the professors were. Being an educated man himself, Paul was one of the most educated men of his time. Paul decided that since he was going to Athens, the seat of knowledge, he would speak to the people of Athens in their own vernacular. He would show them that he too was a man of learning. He was an educated man. So Paul goes to Athens to preach. And he quotes from their own poets, just as if he were an Athenian. 
you don't remember, go back and read the book of Acts. Because in Athens was one of the most disappointing preaching services that the Apostle Paul ever had. There were fewer converts in Athens than anywhere Paul ever preached. So Paul left Athens. And he went on to the next city and he was ready to preach again. And you know what he did? He gave up the tactics that he had used in Athens when he got to his next preaching appointment. And he told those hearers, he said, I am determined not to know anything among you except what, Paul? Except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul knew something. That a crucified and risen Christ was the one hope for the world. So when Paul says unequivocally that we are bought with a price, Paul does not stand alone. That was the faith of his fellow saints. It was the faith of his brethren in the ministry. John was imprisoned on Patmos. And imprisoned there on that rocky island of Patmos, John wanted to tell of the debt that he and his fellow Christians owed to Jesus Christ. Here's what he said. Him who loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood. That's in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7. The writer of the Hebrew letter believed there was no entrance into the holiest of all except by the blood of Jesus. And then Peter comes along. Peter wants to strengthen the courage of Christians being persecuted and scattered all over the earth. So he reminds them, you were redeemed, not with corruptible things such as silver and gold. Well, how were we redeemed, Peter? With the precious blood of Jesus, as a lamb without blemish and without spot. That's in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. How did it happen? How did all of these great saints of old come to the conclusion that we were saved by the blood of Christ. They reached that conclusion by listening to Jesus Himself. Because Jesus Himself said, The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. And you think about who Jesus gave His life for. I want you to go back with me by an eye of faith to that scene in the upper room. Jesus is eating that last Passover with His apostles. And He breaks the bread and He blesses it. And He said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He takes the fruit of the vine, the cup. He said, this is my blood that was shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. During that memorial feast, Jesus dared to replace the Paschal Lamb with Himself. 
And he took the bread. And as he broke the bread, he put a bit of it in the hand of Simon, who's going to deny him. He puts a bit of it in the hand of Judas, who's going to betray him. He puts a bit of it in the hand of Thomas, who's going to doubt that he was raised from the dead. He's going to put a bit of it in the hand of the other nine who are going to forsake him and run away. But he says to all of them, this is my body which is given for you. Simon who will deny me, Judas who will betray me, Thomas who will doubt me, and all of you who will leave me, I'm giving my body, my best, my all, I'm giving it for you. No matter how hard some might try. We cannot get away from that phrase. He has purchased with His own blood. Feed the church of the Lord that He purchased with His own blood. To get away from that, you destroy the New Testament. What did Paul mean? When he said the church was purchased by the blood of Jesus. What did he mean? What do the writers of the New Testament mean when they say that? What do we mean when we use that language today? It means that Jesus has bought us. He bought me. He bought you. He bought us at the price of a life laid down. Paul is insistent on this doctrine of the cross. You see, it was Jesus Christ crucified who has taken Paul's own heart captive. Jesus. Jesus who knew men as no one else ever did. Counted on His sacrificial death as His supreme appeal to lost men and women. Remember what he said that's quoted in the gospel according to John? And I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. And he said that signifying the kind of death he was going to die. Jesus Christ based his confidence for winning mankind upon the appeal of the cross. And he was right. Throughout all the centuries, this strange man on his cross has cast a spell upon the hearts of all sorts of men and women in all sorts of conditions. Write this down. It's on the final exam. Love that gives to the uttermost will win when everything else fails. It was that sacrificial love of Jesus that won the heart of the Apostle Paul. It was that love that made him willing to spend and be spent in the service of Jesus. 
I want you to see that great apostle. I want you to see that man that got knocked down, beat up, and made over on the road to Damascus. I want you to see Paul squandering himself day after day on slaves and ex-slaves. I want you to see this man of scholarship. This man of the aristocracy being used up by social nobodies. And yet what we see is this man burning with passion to throw himself away. And there's seemingly little reward for him other than shame and scars and imprisonment. Paul once preached before Governor Festus. You know what Festus said? He said, Paul, you're beside yourself. Much learning has made you mad. It's made you go crazy. And I can hear Paul say, Festus, the Scripture says, I'm not mad, most noble Festus. But I can hear Paul saying, Festus, I'm not mad. I haven't lost my mind. I'm giving myself not because I'm mad or I'm crazy, but because Jesus loved me. And Jesus gave Himself for me. When Paul stood face to face with the crucified Jesus, he surrendered his heart to Him. He knocked Him down and said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Who art thou, Lord? I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest. What were the next words out of Saul's mouth? What wilt thou have me to do, Lord? What do you want me to do, Lord? And Paul surrendered everything to Jesus Christ. And that's what all of us know in our heart of hearts that we should do is surrender everything to Jesus Christ. We need to be able to say with Saul of Tarsus who became the Apostle Paul, What wilt thou have me to do, Lord? We need to be able to say with Samuel of old, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth and will obey. That's what we long to do. Just the way God remade Saul of Tarsus. When you and I surrender everything to Him, God's going to remake us too. He took Saul of Tarsus. And through his obedience, Saul of Tarsus was remade and became the great Apostle Paul. And you and I can be remade. Maybe you've never done that. Would you? In simple trusting faith, repenting of everything that's sin in your life, confessing the name of Christ and being buried in the waters of baptism... Would you make Jesus the Lord and Master of your life? Or maybe you've done that, but you haven't lived His kind of life. You never really surrendered everything to Him, and you need to come back and let brothers and sisters pray with you and for you. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what needs might need to be addressed for Jesus to be the Lord of your life. I know this. If He's not Lord of all of your life, He's not Lord at all in your life. If we can help you make some changes, come, let us do that as together we stand. While we sing.